Resident Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. And today I'm joined by Richard Milson, CEO of Milson Technologies, a premier residential electronic systems provider in Canada, who has been a friend of mine since we met nearly 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. Richard later became a very popular instructor at conferences where his insights into how his company provided highly systemized custom integration and in multi-dwelling units that are throughout Vancouver where he resides um, were, were very successful and everyone wanted to know how that got done. So Richard obliged them with a really great session. So um, I later recruited him to work for my last magazine and we got to be good friends and I've kind of missed talking to him. So here he is today. Richard, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jeremy. Great to be here, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, I know you love uh, chatting on Zoom, so we'll try to make <laughs> this painless. <laughs> oh, it's so great. All Zoomed out right here, but uh, we keep yeah. going. Um, so look at back. We, we met at a CDM management conference, and those don't exist anymore in that name, but it was a, it was a great um, environment to kind of get to know folks in the industry. It was a very intimate setting, and yeah. uh, I, I, I became an instant fan of yours because you seemed to like our magazine in the early oh, yeah. days there. So uh, I, I, my, my self-esteem always needed a little boost, so I appreciate that back then. Um, <laughs> and I also remember us getting a kick out of, I'm not sure if it was that, that particular conference or one after that, uh, a futurist that we saw oh. that had a ponytail, and he, he told us about how big the smartphone will become in the future. Jerry, I remember this guy, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, so clearly, you and I, we ended up sitting together and we thought, oh, we'll take this session because, you know, I think he was, he was actually the keynote, as I remember. It was the That's last true. session on the last day. Everybody's building up to this. And the thing I remember most clearly about him is he was Canadian. Like that's, oh, that's, that's the right. one thing that stuck with me. It's like, seriously, dude, you are so bad at this. And now everybody in the room is going, you know, I'll look at these Canadian guys. They don't know what's going on with technology. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, I remember it so clearly because he basically had a series of uh, points that every single, you're sitting there talking to a group of technology people that really, frankly, are on the leading edge. We kind of have to be, we have to know what's going on in all these different disciplines. And he's coming out and talking to us about things like, you know, Excel and the iPhone are gonna change everything. And people are just sort of snickering and looking at each other. But I remember at the end, he, he had, you know, he saved something for the end that was completely anticlimactic and useless. And then he was, uh, his, his sign off was, well, thank you very much, everybody. Godspeed. Oh, yeah. Godspeed. What, what are we like on an ocean liner? We're going on a cruise. What, what, what are we coming back from space? Like, what, what, what do you mean, Godspeed? It made no sense. And it was like, well, that's a perfect ending. It was a crap seminar. <laughs> He's not very good at this. But we were having a good time, you and I. It was, it was, it was a lot more enjoyable because you were there. Yeah, I felt like we were kids in like, yeah yeah passing notes back and forth and making fun <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i i, I love that he he actually unlike many key, keynote speakers he attended the conference up until when he spoke which was a yeah. good idea on his part and he should have had a better sense of his audience at that point but he, didn't. But he, he learned nothing about learned what nothing. we did or who we were and he came out and gave his canned speech anyway it was great but, but we didn't know that he was our speaker because he would just have <laughs> lunches true. with us and things and then and then he transformed himself by pulling 
growing the hair back into a ponytail, the and ponytail. suddenly he was the uh, futurist, you know? Yeah, like some sort of Zen master future guy. I mean, I mean, think about it. How hard is it to become a futurist? Well, you get a business card, you print futurist, and you're uh -huh. pretty much done. Because yeah, yeah. checking you, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was fun. Well, I, I didn't actually know much about your background when we met. I, I got into it much later when, when I interviewed you because um, we just kind of got rolling with our relationship or friendship and you started writing and you're, you're such a, a pro that I just kind of went with it. And I was amazed to learn later that, um, and, and forgive me if I'm, I'm, I'm speaking out a little bit out of turn, but you, you did not graduate from high school, is that correct? And then, and the so I, I, people, people sort of make a big deal about that, and, and I understand why. But the thing is, I, I wanted to say this is my, my singular little plug for that. I finished grade 11 with, with straight A's except for one class. My decision in not going to uh, any further education was, in retrospect, probably really dumb. I would have loved to go to college or university, or whatever, but at the time, uh, it was summertime. I graduated grade 11. I had a really tough time in school because the classes seemed stupid to me. I didn't understand why we were learning this stuff. It was a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. So summer comes and this is like 1978, 79 or whatever. And, you know, dance music and discos and clubs, everything really huge. And they opened this teen disco. I swear to God, you, you had to be before, between 14 and 18 years old to get in. There's no booze. But anyways, long story short is I end up getting a job as a DJ in the summer. And then school comes around again. And I go, ah, I can always go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that's so anyways, happen. I uh, ended up working there and started working in downtown nightclubs and then started building nightclubs. And, and that led me into the audio video side of things. And, and here we are today. That's a very short version, but there you go. Well, how does that experience transform into custom integration as we know it, you know, working in homes and, you know, putting together systems? What were some of those early systems like for you when you got out of the, the uh, club environment? Sure. Well, the one thing I would say, and I've, I've spoken about this before and written about it, is that <clears throat> the difference between commercial and residential, uh, residential essentially has, still to this day, no standards of any kind. There's, there's no way, if you pick 25 different integrators and interview them about their project process, they're all going to be completely different. And none of them are right and none of them are wrong. There, it's just, there are no standards. You, there's no school. There's no, I mean, of course, there are CD courses and different courses you can take from manufacturers and, and that sort of thing. But there is no sort of apprenticeship journeyman program. There's no trade schools other than what Dennis has done at Maverick and a couple other things that have been fairly short-lived in the past, but no broad acceptance of how we do what we do. Commercially, that is not the case at all. There is rigorous testing and understanding about what a balanced versus unbalanced line and what you're, what, how you're supposed to use XLR connectors, quarter edge, tip ring sleeve, all this type of thing, grounding things properly, uh, seismic restraints for the racks, like all this stuff that you're supposed to do because the entire industry is set up differently. Typically, they have a specifier and the specifier is not a contractor. They don't sell or install anything. And the specifier designs everything, and then four or five different contractors bid on that design. And there's sometimes opportunities to change the design, but generally that's how it works. In our world, we design it, we you know, procure it, we install it, we program it, we do everything at once, and there's no one overseeing that. So I would say that's the biggest difference, but the thing that happened with us is because I had the professional background, when we went to residential, we sort of decided well, yeah, we're going to have to figure this out and be organized and do things in a repeatable, standardized way. And then you can see them behind us. 
we ended up getting a lot of these towers. Uh, we're starting with uh, a project called Residence on Georgia, and that was like 94, 95, somewhere in there. And uh, that had 500 homes in it. And, you know, our company had three people in it. And of course, wow. because I'm however old I was, very young, I said, sure, we can do that. And we figured it out. But, you know, 350 multi-room systems for distributed audio, four or 500 alarm systems. We did a cinema, on and on and on. Uh, we did security systems, a bunch of stuff. That whole thing taught me by fire, oh, wow, th this is great for business, but we're going to have to figure out ways to do this in a standardized way because you can't just sort of, you know, do it a different way each time. So that, that's what led us into uh, actually building the product company eventually, but into build, building standards for ourselves and our guys about let's do this the same way each time because that's the only way we can actually scale and, and get repeatable results. So again, short version, but that's what happened. Did you really jump right from doing the club installation and tech stuff into that high rise or were you, were there so steps in between? There, there, it was pretty on the heels of what, what happened was I got a job as a DJ at several clubs and if anybody watching knows anything about nightclub owners, they don't want to pay for anything. So uh, you're the DJ, fix it. You know, I'm like, okay. So I learned and I had the great fortune to meet a couple guys. Uh, who had built clubs in Calgary and actually New York and worked with, uh, if anybody watching this knows, Richard Long and Associates or RLA. I mean, they built basically every major nightclub in New York in the 70s and 80s um, <clears throat> and, and around the world, actually. Huge 5,000, 10,000 person discos in Italy and all this kind of stuff. He gave many presentations to the Auto Engineering Society. Very serious guy. Anyways, Gary Steven, a good friend of mine who worked with us at the time, he worked with Richard. And he worked in Calgary. And anyways, those guys came to Vancouver to build a club. And I met them and I started working with them. And Gary and I eventually started a small company where I was DJing at night and doing nightclub installations. We did restaurants, uh, everything you can imagine, uh, clothing stores, chain stores. We did 70 volt systems. We hung TVs in Red Robin restaurants. I mean, we did all this stuff. And at night, I'm still DJing. So eventually it got to the point where, okay, let's form this real business. And we did that. And uh, <clears throat> somewhere about two, three, four years into that, we started doing residences. And uh, we got approached by Sony of Canada. Sony was doing a big project with a developer. They had no installation team. They asked us if we wanted to install. We said, sure. And that's actually how we moved into, and that was our first project, that residence on Georgia. And that developer liked what we did. And then we uh, eventually did multiple towers for that developer and others after that. Right, right. So then tell me about how your, your experience with the systematic approach evolved then and, and how long did it take for you to create, you know, a, a plan and attack that's in and out really fast working with a developer that, you know, doesn't take any delays at all, right? You're, you're not, yeah. well, so it's a lot different than a single family home. Completely. And that's a very good point you raised. When you're working with a property developer and people don't understand necessarily all the background on this, but the way the money flows the bank funds the project, not the developer. And the bank, or typically, typically these days, multiple banks, they want that money, you know, they're charging interest on their money, so the developer wants to turn this project fast. They're in a hurry to get this done. In Vancouver, those towers you see behind me, it's not unusual for them to pour a floor and move the forms up every four to six days. Like, they're moving really fast. And then as soon as they get to five, six, seven, eight, nine floors, they start putting in the electrical and the framing and the windows and everything. And they're following each other up the tower. Well, we are expected to go in below that and go with the electrician and everybody else and move. So you, you've got to be extremely organized. If you, the first time you fell behind, you're not going to work for that developer anymore. In a, ta in a home, you know, there are delays. People understand that. 
it's, I mean, there's, there's so many, I could talk about this for hours, but the point is just think about it for a second. In a residential environment, there's always a place to park. You know, you can go down the street for lunch. Uh, you know, if, you, if somebody can bring something from the office, I'm not talking about remote projects, but something in your own geographic area. Whereas in a tower, once you go to there at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever to get on the skip, it's called, because they build the elevator on the outside of the tower, because the tower's not built, there is no elevator. You know, everybody's fighting to get on that skip, and you sometimes wait for 45 minutes just to get on the skip to get your stuff up. Uh, that, that, you're paying your guys for that time. So it, it, everything is about time, time, time. So good example is when we did Shangri-La, which is this tower right here, I think. Uh, we did, you know, almost 8,000 window treatments. So we had four or 500 Lutron shades, 12 feet long, showing up at 5 a.m. on a flat deck truck that we had. And so this is what I mean about logistics. We figured out, well, we can't take all that up the tower, unbox them all, and then bring all the garbage back down, et cetera. So we got there at 5 a.m. We unboxed everything and took the shades up and we had a, a strategy for, for the labeling, telling us which suite, which room, which window, which order it goes in. It, the whole thing we do is like that. So to answer your question, when did we figure that out? It, it started pretty early because of what we did at Residence on Georgia. Like, oh, we better, when you're, the scale just goes up, the number of products, the number of systems, where they're going physically in the space, which suite are they going into, which room are they going to within that suite? You can't just make that up as you go. You, there's no possible way. So you, the millwork guys don't do it. The carpet guys don't. The tiles guys. So you sort of see, all right, we're going to plan this kind of like a operation. And we had the what what the single biggest thing I would say that we learned about all that is the turnover period when people take um, possession of the suite, which again the developer wants them to do because as soon as they take possession, the money transfers and the developer has his money. And he's you know when they get to the end of the project, they stop paying all this interest on the money they borrow from the bank. So we have to be in and out fast. Uh, typically in a house, and I, I unfortunately say sometimes the unofficial t-shirt for our industry should be, why are you guys still here? You know, it's like everyone's gone, but the AV guys in the basement, we're just, we're just troubleshooting. We're just got a few more things we're checking. And again, you get back to no standards, not necessarily hasn't been documented or drawn. Maybe the different guys wired it, and different guys are trimming it out. There's no standards for what color wire they use, what color labels. It's unfortunate, but, but in, in a sense, we've done amazingly well as an industry, given the fact that there aren't any accepted standards. But you can't do the scale of these towers like that. So we developed everything from, we, we use one color wire for one system, for one use, uh, et cetera. One no, uh, labeling nomenclature, et cetera. All this led to, and I think we talked about this in, in the article that recently came out, but our rack frame system, where you can essentially do all the wiring on site, terminate it all, label it all, test it all. At the same time in parallel, the rack and all the systems are being built and tested offsite in your production facility. And so when you go to site and plug it in, it basically just works. And that's how we were able to, we were doing, again, this tower Shangri-La, delivering three systems a day. And you know that, that means like putting it in the elevator, bringing it up, rolling the rack in, connecting it. And keep in mind the speakers are in, the shades are in, the touch panels are in, everything's terminated, but the rack comes in and everything lights up and you hand the remote to the homeowner, and it's working like there's no termination or days or weeks of troubleshooting and testing so that's kind of where it came from but we use that in uh, you can't see it in the picture here but vancouver has a lot of single family homes and estates as well and we do a lot of those too and we use the same we use the same methodology it, it works in a home or the tower and it's all just about getting out in front of it doing things and testing things in a controlled environment rather than on site and and doing it the same way every time standardizing what you do 
And, and kind of early on in this process, I, I know that you had had conversations with, with me about trying to productize this or whatever the terminology would be, making it into a, a something you could sell to other integrators. So right. how does that transition into a, a different business for you? And um, how's that been going so far? Yeah, no, well, we, we've, it's been going great. Um, it's a very interesting learning curve for us because, you know, <laughs> While we had the building blocks of being a manufacturer, because we were a manufacturer, but we had a customer of one, which was us. Like we, when you're doing 300 homes and 125 luxury hotel rooms and blah, 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 there's the scale that if you need to design and build something, you can, because you're selling three or four or 500 of them. Um, so we have that capability, but taking that to a real manufacturing company, as any of the vendor partners or industry will tell you, it's a whole different ball game. So, but to answer your question, we started doing this stuff for ourselves. And at some point we started looking around going, well, maybe we can drive the cost down if we, instead of selling 500, we can sell 5,000, or maybe we should start sharing some of this stuff we've developed with the industry. Because as I said, it's always been kind of a pet peeve of mine. I look around and I see people struggling and everybody was wearing three hats and they can't be with their kids on the weekend because their phone's going off. And it's like, there's a better way to do this. So uh, a few years ago, we decided we would start manufacturing uh, and offering those products to the industry. We started with Cinema Frame, our in-wall cinema product, and we launched that, I think, in 2015 at Cedia. And since then, we've been bringing more of our other products. Honestly, full candor, we didn't have this idea, we're going to be a manufacturing company and have a full product line and everything. We just thought, eh, maybe we'll sell Cinema Frame. And then people said, well, what about this? And actually, Dennis Jakes, God bless him, a phenomenal, talented guy in the industry, a pioneer at Maverick Integration in New Hampshire, who's now joined ABDG. But those guys came to Vancouver and saw Cinema Frame and went, yeah, we love it. Well, what about that? What about Rack Frame? What about Wireframe? What about all these other things we had? And we, oh, are you interested in that? Oh, absolutely. So uh, that led us to believe there's a, there's a market for it. Um, we connected with a bunch of people, tried to do different avenues with reps and selling direct and all kinds of things. Today, we sell direct to dealers. Uh, we primarily deal with the guys in HTSA, the buying group, uh, consortium, and uh, we sell to other people outside there, but, but our sort of what we call the framework, which is really um, all of the products and how they work together, our documentation, our standards, our labeling, uh, all about how we do what we do. We, we, we share that with um, the guys in the HTSA, and uh, several of them have built out the full production rooms, including ABS in New York, Franklin Carp and his team, um, and SAV in Montana, and a bunch of other guys. And um, so now we're selling directly to them, and they're using our methodology and taking it into their own system and using it in their own markets, their own ways. And so it's been fantastic. I mean, what I like the most is the, the problem we tried to solve, the pain we tried to take away, it's now having, it's reaching out bigger than just our little world. And I like that. I mean, these guys are actually seeing real benefit from it. It's, and, you know, without naming names, certain companies had certain individuals, oh, we don't need to do this. This is a waste of time. We've been doing fine for however many decades. We're doing great. And now those same people are like, this is fantastic. And it's like, yeah, well, if you don't know, you don't know. If you haven't experienced it, right? So um, it's been very gratifying. I'm, I'm very happy about it. Well, um, before we continue our conversation, Richard, I want to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to Residential Tech Talks. Today's episode is brought to you by Sony. 
Sony's OLED TVs and Master Series meet the strict criteria of the top engineers and makes beautiful images a reality. Their 4K HDR TVs pair the brilliance of 4K with the brightness, color, and detail of high dynamic range. See how every scene comes to life with extraordinary realism. Discover a new level of immersive cinematic audio at home. With Dolby Atmos and Acoustic Surface Audio, you'll enjoy three-dimensional surround sound that takes your breath away. See everything new from the world of Sony USA, including electronics, the new PlayStation 5, movies, music, and TV shows. Visit www.sony.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm talking to Richard Milson, CEO of Milson Technologies in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Richard, what um, would you say are the differences in the Canadian CI market versus what you hear about in the US? I know uh, distribution is kind of a different thing versus direct a lot of times. Is that the main difference? Um, what what um, can you say about that? What I would say, if, if I had to pinpoint sort of main differences, I would say, um, it's funny, the things that people think are different are not actually different. Meaning, you know, I've talked to vendors at trade shows, I go to CD or whatever, and I say, hey, I like your product, can we buy it? Oh, where are you? Oh, we're in Canada. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how we're gonna get it there. Uh, what, have you guys, <laughs> you know, FedEx, UPS, DHL, US Post, like they all come here, it's daily, it's fine. Uh, so, so that's not a problem. Um, I would say pricing is higher, we typically pay more for the products. So, and sometimes it's really quite substantial. So by the time you pay duty and taxes and, and different things, and there's different, different pricing sometimes just straight up, uh, you know, a project that's 50 grand in the States might be 75 or 80 grand to the customer up here, just so it costs more. But I would say also the other thing that probably makes a difference is just population. California has more people living in it than all of Canada, wow. right? So yeah. our population is spread out. So you really only have in terms of, again, I'm talking about the high end, obviously across the country, everybody has some sort of interest in smart home or IOT devices, et cetera. But if you're talking about systems that are $50,000, $100,000 and up sort of thing in luxury homes, you know, you're talking Vancouver, Calgary, maybe Edmonton. There's some things going on in, in the Prairie Provinces in Winnipeg and that sort of thing. But really Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, you know, it's not like 50 or 60 major cities like in the United States. It's it's the, the it's different. So there's not as much um, room for competition. There's, you know, I think there's 300 major dealers in New York. You know, for Lutron or whatever. Uh, there's probably 15 or 20 dealers, and five of them are real serious players in Vancouver. Like it's a it's a different thing altogether. Just the scale of it, I would say. But in terms of the professionalism, the products, the way we do it, it's very very similar. I would say uh, I don't see any major differences. We've had the great. Of luck, frankly, and opportunity of, of being in a city that's building all these condo towers. Um, so that's what led us into that space. We've done projects, we've partnered with Audio Visions for a big project in San Francisco called 181 Fremont. It was great, it was very successful, we're happy with that. I wanted to do that because I wanted to see how our system, the framework system, transported into remote locations. You know, can we, it's great to do all these towers in Vancouver, but can we do one in San Francisco or Boston or whatever? So we've now partnered with uh, Maverick on a couple of towers. And uh, like I say, audio visions. Uh, so it's, it's been great. And, you know, we talked uh, about a year ago for an article and I asked you um, what you like most about this industry. And you said that at your core, you're a designer and this gives you an opportunity 
this industry gives you an opportunity to to apply those skills. How how would you describe what you what you do on a regular basis that that helps you kind of scratch that itch as a designer? Well, uh, I would say that in the last whatever few years, that that has definitely been all about our product company. You know, we're designing these products, and I have to say, it's fine to design a product, and you know. I, I never remember sometimes we had, I'm wearing an integrator or a manufacturer, but as an integrator, we see products entering the market that clearly have no thought behind them in terms of how the integrator will use it. This isn't malice on the, on, or anything like that, or even incompetence on the manufacturer's part. They're trying to do a good job, but they sometimes forget to ask the dealer or the integrator, well, how are you going to use this? Is it what you want? Does it have the features you want? So when we do it, would design something we're always doing it from a set standpoint of what will the integrator experience be because we know that the actual customer is, is the integrator for us their customer is the end user but how will it be to install what's the packaging like are the installation manuals clear all that kind of stuff so that is where i get a lot of joy in terms of designing things the integrator side i would say the the, the advent uh tom doherty and htsa and in his initiative around lighting and fixtures i mean you know, Tom, Tom deserves a huge amount of credit in this industry. Uh, he's a good friend. I like him a lot. But, you know, first of all, he founded CDA with Chris Stevens. But besides that, <clears throat> these days, you know, with HTSA, he's out in front looking at what the next thing will be. And he's the guy that brought lighting fixtures and lighting, you know, those, that side. We all did lighting control. We all did shades. But who's selling the fixtures? And anybody that does lighting control can tell you that's a big problem. The way those two things interact what fixture they're using, what drivers, zero to 10, all that sort of thing can impact and, and actually plague the lighting design side. You're asking the designer for information on the fixtures, they don't have any, et cetera. So my point is that Tom brought that into the industry and now through HTSA, we're selling and designing these fixtures. So now we can actually design the systems. And I find that sort of a new avenue, if you will, of design. Like, okay, so where's this fixture gonna be you know what's it doing in terms of lumen output and what's the color temperature is it accurate and all that sort of thing it's it's part of designing the experience of the space um but really the, the design of the systems i'm not deeply involved in that anymore we have incredibly talented people doing that i'll talk to uh we'll have meetings about what products should be selected not per project but as a standard we don't sell five different kinds of receivers or five different kinds of televisions we sell a very limited mix that we know everything about and we reuse that but those discussions uh, are kind of design decisions and uh, about how we're going to design these systems. And I get involved in that. But I would say lighting design, uh, the wellness thing is also very interesting these days. These are new things to talk about with clients. And I like that a lot. Well, sure. Um, before we get into looking ahead a little bit, um, how, if any, has COVID-19 and the quarantine affected your business? Um, I would encourage everybody watching to Google a woman named Dr. Bonnie Henry. So I think she just had an article written about it in the New York Times. Um, Bonnie Henry is the chief medical officer for, for our province, British Columbia. And we have, she has just absolutely killed it. Like, I mean, she just nailed it. We immediately locked everybody down, everybody quarantined. So such that today, whatever it is, what is it, the 17th, 18th today, um, mostly everything is back open again. In, in a controlled environment. I mean, there's physical distancing and that sort of thing, and there's plexiglass up in restaurants, all that kind of thing, but we really have done very well. So to answer your question, how did it affect our business? Uh, we've been very fortunate. I would say that the most logical thing that most people did is everybody who worked in our office, we have about 20 plus people working in the office, 
they all started working remotely, including myself. Um, but our guys on site, uh, those towers, you know, that's a $600 million project. They don't stop. Uh, they take precautions. They put whatever requirements are in, in place that are necessary, but they don't stop. So that means we didn't have to stop. So we're right now working on three towers in Vancouver and they all continued. All of our single family homes continued. Um, I would say that the biggest impact on us was our service. People simply didn't want people in their houses. And, I, and we've done some uh, conference calls with other um, uh, key principals in uh, HTSA companies, and they're all basically reporting the same thing. It's like service has sort of significantly dried up or, or died down because people didn't want them. We are actually now seeing that increase again, where people are saying, okay, that, that stuff I told you to wait on, it's okay to go ahead and come and do that. And these are, you know, anything critical. Uh, and I, again, these are things you've heard before, but the infrastructure, the wireless infrastructure, uh, internet, that type of thing becomes critical to them because they're all at home. They're, now their yeah. kids are all streaming and they want to watch movies. And so fortunately we design enterprise class uh, network systems most of the time anyway, but a lot of our clients said, is there anything I can do to get a faster pipe? You know, and so we, we helped them through that without physically going into the home. But really we've been extremely fortunate. Um, it really hasn't disrupted our business very much. And on the manufacturing side, I would say, that was disrupted, unfortunately, and like many manufacturers. Our metal uh, fabricator, who's in Richmond, <clears throat> is a suburb of Vancouver. You know, they've got 80 guys working in their shop and they're running 24 seven. Well, you can't have 80 guys next to each other when they're COVID situation. So they slowed right down, which means our metal parts went from two week, three week lead time to 10 weeks, 12 weeks, th this sort of thing. And it, it really impacted us that way. We've caught up or, or we're finally getting our, our inventory stock back up. But on the manufacturing side, I would say that was what it was. On the integrator side, we were very fortunate. It was minimal, I would say, that really impacted us. Final question for you. Um, pulling your ponytail back, becoming a futurist. <laughs> I used to have a ponytail. I, I can't believe I'm admitting that. But at some point, when you're, when you're going, is it, re is it really gone? Am I sure about this? <laughs> you so and I sometime, both. Some way you just bring the ponytail in and it just makes no sense. It, it doesn't help guys. Come on, think about it. Yeah, you, anyway. you and I both are, are long from our ponytail days, but- yeah, uh, It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, but, but you mentioned lighting fixtures, um, wellness uh, as a couple of, of areas of focus. So um, looking ahead, do you see those as, ex as, as sustainable trends in this industry? What about- things that have really been COVID affected in terms of improved video conferencing in the home or huddle room type te technology or even remote um, service really taking on a new level of importance. I think you've touched on three very important things. So briefly, the, the lighting fixture thing I do not think is going away. Um, it's interesting. I remember conversations with people in our industry when shading came along and they were saying things to me, shading? I don't know anything about fabrics. Why would I sell shades? Anybody that does lighting control today does shades. I mean, it's a, it's a completely standard thing. Everybody does it. It's completely integrated and controlled. I would suggest to you within a couple of years, that will be exactly the same with lighting fixtures. And again, it's for the reasons I said before, we want control of that. It, when you when someone else used to do the shading, you have to integrate with that. Is it contact closure? What, what kind of keypad are you using? All this kind of stuff. If you're doing it yourself, it just works. Same thing with lighting fixtures. So I, I, that also ties to the wellness thing with essentially the circadian rhythm and human-centric lighting. Um, that's becoming actually well-known now. It's not some fringe thing. And you know, Delos and those guys have done a great job of promoting the wellness standard and, and introducing the idea of, well, if I'm going to, I, I love the way they say it, you know, 
what is it? A, a smart a smart home is not smart if it's not healthy. That's a great tagline, you know, Apple, thousand songs in your pocket. You know, smart home is not smart if it's not healthy. It's a very, very concise, interesting thing. Someone's spending a lot of money building their house and on the stuff we do. Don't you want clean water? Don't you want clean air? And it's not just a gimmick, especially with COVID. They're now actually really interested in this. Well, how can I create the safest, cleanest environment for my, myself and my family? So I don't see that going away. I think any of these things has a big blip at the beginning, and then it just sort of levels off over time. And we'll see consistent, standard, um, maintainable business, if you will. And so I think that's, that's absolutely true. In terms of the video conferencing thing, uh, I think what Crestron just did is amazing. You know, and, and it's interesting. Here's your commercial and residential where we started. Commercial, huddle rooms, and, and being able to have a, a, a multi-participant video conference experience that feels like you're in the room. Well, that's been, they've been driving that for years, they and others, to create that on the commercial side. On the residential side, we've sort of somewhat ignored it. Yeah, maybe they got a webcam on their computer in the den or something. So with, with their new, I think it's um, home time, I forget what it's called exactly, but they're, they're, they're basically porting what they do on the commercial side to the residential side. We may see other people doing this, but in terms of thinking about how we design media rooms and spaces like that, even cinemas, you've got a big screen, you've got a, a relationship between the seating, the viewing surface and the seating area, and the lighting's controlled, why not put a device in there or devices that allow you to have fantastic experience, whether it's for business or family or connecting with your kids or whatever it is, I would see that as actually expanding. People talked about doing that with gaming before and building gaming rooms. I personally didn't see that take off in our space, you know, locally. I don't know if it did other places, but this I could see as being different. I think everybody through COVID understands the value of connection. So they're going to want to basically be able to do that in the most convenient way possible. And obviously Crestron's done a good job with that with their first product. We'll see if others do the same thing. Great, I appreciate your time, Richard. Uh, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate uh, all the insight and it's always a pre pleasure talking to you. Oh, my pleasure entirely, Jeremy. Thanks buddy, talk to you soon. Also, thanks to everyone else for joining us. Be sure to comment, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And you can check out all the latest residential tech news at www.restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay healthy and safe and do not hesitate to reach out to me if you have a great story to tell.